Then let's forget what we should have done earlier and continue with what we should do now. So, Kyle, how's it going today? It's going pretty well. I uh, Yesterday was my birthday, and I did not do much of anything with it, which is exactly how I would have liked to spend it. I went and saw a movie, and I biked around. It was like a pretty decently nice day here in Philadelphia, like 60 degrees, so that was pretty pleasant. I mean, um, it sounds like you actually did something with your birthday, because I got a certain edited something for our end of month content. Oh, well, maybe that, too, but... Uh, <laughs> I um I didn't do work. How about that? I did I did uh, a very small thing for the pod, and then I uh went on my bike ride, and I listened to music, and I went and saw a movie called In the Mood for Love, which is a two thousand film from Hong Kong about like I guess two people who realize that their uh, respective spouses are cheating on them, and so they try and like get each other to work up the courage to leave their spouses and in the process like fall in love it's a very very pretty movie um a little hard to follow because i went in there with a little less context than what uh plus it's in an entirely different uh language so i'm like reading the thing as i'm and i'm stoned out of my fucking mind so i'm having a little trouble keeping up but it's a good movie good movie if you get a chance and you're not too stoned pretty fun and even if you're stoned, it was pretty fun. Fair enough. Well, what was that called? Oh, in the mood I forgot for to tell love. y'all, we have a guest. Ba-da, ba-da. <laughs> no, uh, we were gonna. I was gonna sit on the reveal for a little minute, but we are once again joined by our uh, good friend Daniel. Hey, howdy, guys. But yeah. So, so what was that movie called? <laughs> oh, it's called uh, "In the Mood for Love." Um, I believe the. Director's name is Car Y, Hong Kong movie, two thousand. Very good. It's apparently got like some thematic uh, sequels, or he it is a thematic sequel to one of his older films. And then they did one called Twenty Forty Six. That's like a futuristic. He's taking the train and having a bunch of affairs, and that's also kind of a sequel to it. So there's like a whole canon to jump into if you're into it. Right on. Oh, I. Uh... So do Kyle and Jackie have the same birthday? Yes, they do. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Happy birthday, Jackie. Nice. We had a good little day. We also just stayed in because, unfortunately, it was not quite as nice here in St. Louis, and the roads were all iced over. So instead of going out to some craft stores and doing that kind of stuff, we just uh, got drunk inside. But we'll be doing the birthday outings on Saturday or Sunday then. Nice. Nice. Man, winter birthdays suck. Fuck winter birthdays. I mean, like, I don't celebrate my birthday very much, like, unless other people come up with something and they, it's usually, like, an excuse to get go out and get drunk. But, like, winter birthdays? Uh, no, I'd much rather it be, like, like Lucy's birthday is in the end of July, and I'm like, hell yeah, this is perfect. This is, yeah, like, we can go open. wherever we want. Yeah. I mean, not the last couple of years, but, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, jump down to the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> yeah, just switch. Go I mean, where honestly, the toilets like flush back all around, anyways, <laughs> with uh, how countries are choosing their governments. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, how how's life going for you, Daniel? Oh, can't complain. Getting by. I guess nothing, that's all you can ask for. <laughs> nothing much, yeah, nothing much new. 
staying inside, still staying away from people like there's a plague going on or something. Yeah, it's almost like that is the truth. <laughs> almost as if there's a, uh, I don't know, man, I really like this little lull period right bef- between peaks. You know, this is nice where yeah. you can go out for a little bit and feel less guilty and then... Uh, in two months, variant. we'll be trapped back inside, so that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah just wait until we got the uh, yeah, just wait until the the epsilon or whatever, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Anyways, um, well, anyways, like I said, we are joined by Daniel because uh, we're doing another kind of a fun review, and uh, it's a piece that we all think is a uh, pretty well made. We are going to be doing a quick review of the film Don't Look Up. Yeah, um, I should look this up. I mean, I don't look up, but I should look up exactly because I know they've gotten a few Academy Award noms. Um, but it's a good film. Obviously, the cast is just unbelievably oh, yeah. like star-studded. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, the big name, of course. Meryl Streep. Uh, you have J. Law as Leonardo DiCaprio's, like I guess. What do you call it, love interest? Partner. Not a love interest, no partner. No. But uh, because her love interest is Timothy Chalamet, uh, yeah, later the, on in the film, yeah, it shows up right in the last like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then you have, of course, uh, what's his face? How am I forgetting Superbad? Um, Jonah Hill. Hill. Thank you. Uh, great, great performances all around, really. Especially, I think Kate Blanchett. But I, I'm a big Blanchett fan, so. But yeah, I mean. Uh, my thoughts on the movie, other than, of course, the star-studded cast, my thoughts are that uh, it's just a good movie to watch if you're kind of trying to get a little introductory course on what's wrong with the world. It's kind of a little leftist sampler platter, with obviously a climate change being the main main dish at the center of it. But mm-hmm. there's a little bit of everything in there when it comes to leftist theme- themes and uh, uh, ideology stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like climate lib a little bit. You know, maybe it's not oh, I mean, like... It's, yeah. It's, it's not, not like, a communist manifesto on screen or something, but it's like yeah, it's definitely left. something. Yeah, some in the moment dunking on the right for sure. I mean, especially on the news broadcasts where uh, they go on to the news and they're like, uh, "Yeah, there's a ninety nine point seven eight percent chance this meteor's going to hit." And they're like, oh, we can round that down to seventy. It looks better in posts." Mm-hmm, like, <laughs> yeah, their their montages of uh, you know all the backlash. When they can actually see the meteor, the asteroid coming or the comet, and uh, they're saying, obviously, the hence the title, just don't look up. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the people are saying, just look up, you can see it, it's there. Right. So the inevitable backlash: don't look up. They want you to look up. Yeah, and I mean, the sad reality is this is taking place in a not too distant future kind of scenario, and the president is a. Democrat of her time, which is just showing once again how the Democrats are shifting ever right. She's even further right well, they, than Joe Biden somehow. I mean, they, they didn't really kinda, say it flat out, I guess. But. Right, like it, it, it's it's doing the thing where it's um, it's kind of any you could put anybody into that space. I mean, obviously the I think the target audience for this uh, definitely puts Meryl Streep's character in the Republican category, in part because, you know, she wears red a lot and she's like really boisterous, very obviously a little bit of Trumpy vibes, but it's not like, I don't think we would have, this same performance could have been made during the Clinton years and we would have taken a similar thought to it, you know? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I mean, yeah, it'd be tough to pin down, but I don't know. I, I put her as like a centrist Democrat in terms of the way she acted a lot. I, I took I did take her as kind of a Trump spoof. Mm-hmm. She's got her son as her chief of staff, Jonah Hill's character, and right. uh, just much more con- image conscious. And 
I mean, that's boisterous, something. you know, sex yeah. scandal stuff, like obviously like playing into the, the big personality deal. Like Meryl Streep, I think, did a really good performance, but it definitely is a kind of I think you, that I, I'm with Daniel here that it's a Trump thing. Ah, well, maybe I'm just too skeptical nowadays. And also, I mean, writing all the capital F that I do, I think I lose track of what year things take place right. in. Where is everybody? And who is what now? Everything's blending together. But yeah, incidentally, though, about the time that I saw that company bash, that's about when I realized, oh, this is just now, now if I ever need to do a capital F on like a disaster kind of situation, it's already written. Damn. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Well, do you want to go through maybe just a quick rundown of the plot since, uh, spoilers ahead, uh, we don't make it, guys. We all yeah. die. Yeah, I think we can just do a quick uh, little speed run there. Mm-hmm. So just like, you know, the beginning of this is similar to, uh, I think, a lot of disaster movies from what, disaster movies that are like diagnosed, like where a scientist or somebody is the main character or something. You know, you're like not even quite... It's not like Twister. It's not like a rom-com in that sense, but it's still like a uh, – it, it, it focuses in the very beginning on this group of students who are being taught by Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character who's at like University, I think, of Michigan, um, and they're charting a bunch of stars. And Jen- Jennifer Lawrence's character finds out and is like, wow, this, this thing, this giant comet thing seems to be going across the sky, and we've, we've mapped it now. And in their in their class, they figure out exactly where that comet is going to head. And Leonardo DiCaprio, whose character is neurotic and has like anxiety, he realizes while he's doing the math that that comet's going to fucking hit the Earth. Yeah, which is not ideal. No. And so he gets Jennifer Lawrence's character kind of to come along with him and do the math with him so that eventually they get I so I'll I'll be honest I I get really annoyed whenever people are like I get really annoyed with shows that do like math 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 stem heroes are stem people and I get annoyed with that but like I mean all of those people are actors anyhow so it's like your your heroes really aren't stem people they're actors pretending to be stem people but in any case that's not like a a real point that I'm making, just something I get a little annoyed with because nobody gives a shit about uh, regular people, only like the STEM STEM Lord stuff. But they get in touch with, um, geez, how am I forgetting his name? He was a really fun uh, actor as well on here. Um, shoot, 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 Where is it? It's not Rob Morgan's character. Are you talking about uh, Dr. Oglethorpe in the movie? Uh, is that his name? The guy who's running, like, the uh, disaster uh, the disaster uh, response team or whatever? Um, let me look up real quick. He's got his... Yeah, the guy who works on the government side of things. Yeah, but, like, the government guy that's not the... The government guy that's not the... Oh, is it Rob Morgan? Is it? Is it Oglethorpe? No. No, it is. It is Oglethorpe. It's Rob Morgan's character, I think. Yeah, the Planetary Defense Thank Council. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Planetary yep. Defense Council guy. Um, he, They get in touch, and he's like, yo, we're going to fucking die, and they have to wait in, like, a horrible time. They wait forever to try and get in touch with the actual uh, 
the president who's having like a stupid meeting about one of her sex scandals or something instead. And uh, one of the chiefs of staff, a fucking like five star, four star general, <laughs> in one of the funnier jokes that comes up and just keeps torturing the main characters, it's like he he asks them for ten dollars to get them chips and ten dollars a piece to get them chips and water bottles. Yeah, and a then a pouch of Cheez-Its. Yeah, right, a little pouch bottle. of Cheez-Its. He's like, yeah, sorry, I don't know why they charge so much. And then later, after he's fucking bolted, after everybody's left them to sit in this place for like 10 hours without being talked to, where Rob Morgan's character, who's an actual member of the government, is just getting snubbed by everyone, uh, they end up... <laughs> Jennifer so Lawrence goes into... At the White House. Right, she's like... Where do I pay for this? And the lady's like, they don't cost anything. You're in the White House. What are you talking about? So this four-star general just like skeeved out of them like 40, 40 bucks or some shit and then leaves. And it tortures yep. the the main, the main, mainly Jennifer Lawrence's character the entire time. He's like, why would you do that? In what world? And I, I just, that callback always got me to giggle. Yeah. Yeah, military doesn't pay what it used to. It doesn't apparently, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, but yeah, moving on from there, they basically uh, finally get just enough attention to be like, oh, well, uh, I guess we better get you some media coverage, you know, let you know. I mean, we're not going to do anything about it yet, but, you know, you're welcome to go around and talk to some news, uh, news people if you want to. Sure. I and think, of course, I think the reception. First they, I think oh. first they, you know, could contact NASA, but of course, the head of NASA was put in place by the president, Meryl Streep's mm-hmm. character. So it's just a. a a loyalist. I've forgotten about that nasty scene, yeah. honestly. So yeah. that uh, I think that's why they end up at the White House is you know we got to get you in to see the president, and then of course they don't get in to see the president because they think they're just some nerds, nerds that found a comet. And uh, yeah, I think of course when they do event finally get in to see the president. They they're just gonna of course look at things politically. They're thinking about their midterm election that's coming up in three weeks. So we better not. We better just sit tight and put a lid on this asteroid that's coming at us. Yeah, Gotta it's not consider a, it's, consider the political ramifications first. Yeah, it's it's not it's not pragmatic to try to save the human race when there's an election season uh, around the corner. Meanwhile, they yeah they've narrowed down the time on the asteroid to about six months. Coming in about six months. So what's a few weeks? Sit tight. Mm -hmm. We don't need to worry about this. Um, Anyways, yeah. uh, Is the news next or is it the Elon Musk character next? I can't remember. Oh, I they they have this running bit. They they introduce him originally, the Elon Musk bash guy. But um, he he essentially, yeah, he's like an Elon Musk. uh, What's his face? God, how how am I forgetting the dude who ran Apple for however many years and was uh, the face of him? Jobs. Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. He's like a Steve Jobs-like character, but very obviously more like absorbed in his phone. He's got this creepy soft voice, and he's definitely like selling the future. Like he, that's his whole gag, and he funds the president like crazy. Like that's that's their relationship. Is he's her one of her main f- fundraisers and donors. Um, and so, yeah, they go and they introduce this guy as kind of a, a B plot for a little bit, but then they go onto the news. They get like a little spot where, um, 
Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters get to talk to uh, Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry, yeah, who of are, of course, the very uh, fun, like, get up and go kind of news people. Yeah, good morning, America. Very good morning, yeah. America. Absolutely. It's like you see people out the window shaking signs and shit, but not not actually. It's that kind of show, though. Um, and they try and bring them up and basically, like, play down all the terrifying shit. Um, which and sends Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence finally, into yeah. an insane, like a sane little screed, which, uh, which you know, obviously, if, you're, if you're terrified about the destruction of the planet, that makes you just another uh, neurotic white woman who needs to learn to shut her trap once in a while. Right. That's, no, that's shut the up, takeaway lady. from that news broadcast. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, uh, the very attractive, uh, science man. We'd love to have him back. The loud lady, not so much. Uh, a funny little throwaway line from Kate Blanchett, um, well, I mean, not exactly a throwaway because he does. He does kind of. Well, he yeah, does come back, but it's a fun look. As a line, it's funny as like a little yeah, yuck, yuck. And yeah. they do come back, of course. Kate Blanchett's character, and uh, even though Leonardo DiCaprio is married, they end up having an affair. Um, and we don't need to get too deep into it because mainly the point of the movie keeps pushing forward as like the people who are taking it seriously, like Jennifer Lawrence, get sidelined and become less and less important, even though they're like. You know, they they've they're freaking out correctly and they leak all the information that they were getting that they were going to give up to NASA and give up to uh, the uh, the the White House, but that the White House was telling them to keep quiet on because they didn't want to stir up a panic for their election prospects or whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't uh, surprisingly that doesn't suddenly save the day. No, nope, people you know, still play people on their phone. Dumb. They pay more attention to Ariana Grande and her uh, her boo getting back together on the same show. That um, which obviously, like people don't care about things. I was watching, um, what was it? I was talking to my brother, and we were like, I don't know. He got upset about something that people didn't know about, and I was like, this is just like normal, though. Nobody cares. Nobody's listening. Everybody's watching their shows and hanging out on Instagram or TikTok. They don't give a fuck about the material world beyond how they see it presented to them through their devices and that's like that's what's going to end up happening it's that's why so it, it, that's why don't look up gets to be a thing is because you can always just look down at your phone or look down at your tv uh, it's not as though we've not had this impulse prior to the little devices that we carry with us but this kind of it, 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 the individualism that for it forces on us and the idea that we need to be seen and we can only be seen through this medium kind of sharpens that impulse i think yeah i think they were right on with that even though overall it, it's the whole thing struck me as the metaphor mainly for climate change even if i think if i take it literally i think if they if if scientists literally discovered this comet that was coming for us i could yeah really see a plane out that way you know i could see us taking a full you know for one thing the powers that be taking their sweet time trying to figure out what to do and of course they don't want a panic and you know just panic in the streets chaos and economic collapse everywhere uh but meanwhile yeah yeah people are the people that actually know are going to lose their minds. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that's, uh, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's kind of been uh, what we've been doing with capitalist technology for a while. Rather than technology to improve you know, people's lives, to make the world a better place, capitalism has always tried to work on new technology to distract people. New, new, uh, new circuses and breads to give to the masses. Yeah, it's like um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when when technology technology as like a broader concept, you know, things as as technologically innovative as say language or writing, you know, that kind of thing will often be absorbed into the dominant mode of production in order to continue it. And so we see that though we know that capitalism is past its productive stage, it's if you could call it productive, obviously it would chew people up and spit them out, but to give the to give humanity kind of this this f- epochal shift in the ability to contain surplus, there is some, if you could say, in a Marxist sense, productive capacity that is creative, the progressive force of history of capitalism is no longer serving its purpose. But the, the technologies that we keep creating under capitalism or outside of capitalism are being absorbed in order to proliferate it. And so we see things like, uh, you know, influencer culture essentially more and more entrapping us into this kind of hyper-individualized need to be seen, this need to be uh, validated on an individual level that is easy to commodify and easily, uh, you know, round it's e- it's easy to round that back on us. It's easy to tell us that to take that force that could be liberatory, you know, like back when they thought that the World Wide Web was going to be like this big liberatory free information exchange, and now it's turning into new forms of enclosure because that's what capitalism will do. Even in the face of massive climate change or a fucking rock careening towards Earth, it will commodify. For sure. the Yeah, the science denial in service of capitalism is definitely at the forefront mm-hmm. of the movie. And especially once uh, we see the Musk character again in a bit and he talks about, well, we don't want to blow this meteor up yet because we just did some research on it. It looks like there's a bunch of money up there. Well, before we get right to that, it's the um, it's Ron Perlman's character who's very funny and very blatantly racist and a horrible dude. But they send him they they because of oh, yeah. political intri- uh, intricacies, they end up, you know, getting over the fact that they they released all this information and allowing this to kind of take hold in almost a a. You know, we're going to send a man to the moon, kind of like rah-rah spirit, and they send Ron Perlman up in a very fast and Operation Lightspeed type thing, you know, Lightspeed similar to how we fast-tracked the uh, COVID vaccine. You know, that's the kind of effort that we're looking at, except that we're also making – it's very flashy because you're sending a fucking rocket into space. So they're going to send Ron Perlman, and he's flying, and everybody in the world is so happy because they're going to take care of this actual issue, and then Ron Perlman just – in his giant rocket turns around because a donor this Elon Musk character 
walked into the ready room with the president and told her there were trillions of dollars that they could make by mining the rock. Speaking of that launch scene, though, the sheer amount of spectacle that uh, went on during it mm-hmm. is, uh, on the one hand, like quite hilarious, but on the other hand, probably grossly accurate to how the reality could have could be in a situation like that. Oh, yes, very very much about the uh, the heroism and uh, take just them wanting to take credit for trying to do something about the uh, impending doom. As well, opposed to just uh, accurate, you know, doing the job and actually taking care of it and saving humankind. Yeah. While, of course, not actually finishing the take care of it part. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's where I get – because I think, yes, if I were to say I'm president, say I've – take away all the things that would have had would have had to change to make me president. I'm still the exact same person today. Um, I wouldn't be – Obviously, they wouldn't let me in, but if I'm that person, I would definitely have the spectacle. I would definitely have the spectacle because I think that we are missing in our – like right now when we're talking about the spectacle, when we're talking like society of the spectacle type stuff, we're talking about individualized spectacle. We're talking about things that in further – trap us uh at least at this hyper individualized level um what i think is possible and why i think i'm a materialist is that i think that behavior often prefigures uh outlook and so if we ritualize this spectacle if we show you that yes we are capable of doing things we are capable of doing big things like sending a man to blow up a fucking asteroid i'm going to make a big fucking deal out of it not to say that you know obviously we see how much how how effective the actual spectacle is when that's the whole point and you can get a headline or you can get a pleasant news story out of something and then you don't follow up like we often see people like elon musk who are like yeah i'm gonna donate a bunch of fucking bipaps and ventilators and then he just doesn't do it but he got all the positive press and that pumped up his stock you know like that's that's the opposite side of what i would say is a positive thing that we should make a big deal about shit when we're doing stuff as a collective yeah it's fairly you reach for unity Mm -hmm. yeah i think we do see that often enough that a person in power who apparent will apparently do the right thing in a, a certain moment, but it is just for the press and on, on the quiet, they may just as easily turn around a week or a month later and just completely back out. Just keep keep it quiet. I got the good press. No need to worry about this anymore. Yeah, that's uh, that is the problem. The spectacle isn't inherently evil if we get the job done. Right. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, they decide we can't blow this thing up. We got to mine it for all these resources because money. Um, Elon Musk guy said so. Yeah, yeah I loved it. They, they, uh, the line that all oh, the resources that are on this comet that's going to destroy us, the resources could end world hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is definitely obviously 
And that's definitely what they used the meat money for if they got it off of there safely. I love love that scene with uh, the Muska guy, the Bash dude, who he's got this funny, this beautifully made 3D rendering shit that he brings up to wow everybody. And this is how stupid people are. I mean, we see it with meta, with the metaverse bullshit. They see these dazzling little, I mean, the metaverse stuff looks like trash still, but like they see the little 3D renderings and they just clap their hands like fucking apes and they go, hooray, hooray, hooray. Uh, the, the thing's already solved. We have this picture of it when nothing's actually been made that the, the whole, um, design that he ends up selling as like and we're solving world hunger or solving world peace by bringing all these uh assets into their hands like he uses this high-minded shit like we hear when we're talking about web3 crap where it's like we're decentralizing we're democratizing we're doing all this or that we hear the same shit with any new technology it's supposed to improve our lives where but what's happening is these tech bros are just con men and that's what they do in the show, too, is con people into – I mean, they're donors, so they kind of pull the strings anyway. But con real people into believing that there's going to be some market-driven fix to this problem. Yeah, it seems to me that his message was pretty much – I mean, look at all we've given you with your your phones – you know everything you have in, in your pocket right now, and now I mean we've got all these precious metals. We could do so much more with all these precious metals that are on this rock. You know they don't, don't want to have to keep mining the ocean floor. And worse, he even mentions that most of the the shit that they want off of there is stuff that they can't get because it's in China. Right. <laughs> it's like cool, yeah. God has blessed China more than us. Let's let them have it. It's their century, guys. Well, um, so at this point, the government has basically written off the idea of actually destroying this thing. They want to, you know, they have a long-term plan of how they're going to do a bunch of little drones to scoop up the resources and then afterwards destroy it. But that's that's months down the line. Meanwhile, DiCaprio is uh, finally has a freak out on TV. He just it, he gets to a point where he can't keep sitting by and trying right. to be the cool guy. His wife figured out his affair. He's collapsing. Yeah, and it's hard to feel bad for him because he's been a, kind of a beacon of straight white male privilege throughout the movie. Oh yeah, because he be- becomes like what um, a pilf professor. I'd like to fuck mm-hmm. that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. He's essentially you know an, an astronomy professor, and you know the character pretty much comes. Because you know, gets enamored with the celebrity that you know breaking that news brought him, and then the hot lady on TV is you know throwing herself at him. So got himself a little distracted for a few months at the end of the world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like he had anything big to worry about. And of course, J Law has gone full nihilism. This world, I mean, well, I mean, and why wouldn't you at that point? You can. And she saw the writing you, yeah. on the wall. She saw. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's kind of. Right at that turn where Leonardo, who I, it should be said, gives a fantastic performance, um, like right there at that turn when he's been caught out by his wife, he's had a confrontation at Kate Blanchett's apartment with her and Kate Blanchett, of course, in uh, attendance. Um, so there's this personal struggle, and one can understand, obviously, today, who among us would deny 
an option to be given celebrity because celebrity is the only thing that Americans seem to value. There's nothing beyond beyond having like your own little uh if you if you can't be rich, at the very least people can know your name and you can be a cultural icon. That's something that people strive to be. That's why we have TikTok and Instagram and all this bullshit where you have to rise and grind and prove your worth and show off and more more so than whatever you're doing, it's those pictures and it's the narrative that you're selling that is that is important. And so you can understand him being enamored by when he walks onto what is essentially the NBC most watched show set, he gets that celebrity. But as he sees it collapsing, he has the same kind of meltdown that Jennifer Lawrence has in her first uh, stop on uh, television. And this great scene happens where it cuts into Leonardo DiCaprio's face and Leo, who has been shilling for the last like months or whatever, is finally cracking and you can see him and it just sh he's shouting at the audience and shouting at whoever's going to watch it. And the camera is right in on his eyes. And I don't think there's a better actor for this who can give you that kind of closed feeling just with his just with such a small frame on his eyes. Like there are very few people I do, I think, today that have that kind of I don't even know if I can name many actors that could do it better because he is just one of the best. But it is, yeah, it's very, very. It's effective. Compelling it's very muscle effective. control. Yeah, well, it's that a great scene and what's really a very you know a spoofy, jokey movie to you know just really bring it all in for you know a quick moment, and they're trying to express how serious this should be. Exactly, and I think that I I don't think that. Um, you know, other other actors probably are could do the same thing. I think that Leonardo DiCaprio actually feels this. Like he's obviously rich and he's obviously famous and he obviously has all those salves that protect the people at the top of our food chain. You know, he has all those treats that are given to the people who get to be at the top of this system. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's fair to say that. But, but he's definitely he's definitely convinced that climate change is going to fuck us. Yeah, over. the cast because he is a climate is, lib, you know. Yeah, the cast of the movie is perhaps a bit yeah, like I said, a bit libish. But at the end of the day, none of them are going to be climate denial. They're all people who are like there are bigger fish to fry than everyone getting richer. And that's and kind least, of oh sorry, go ahead. I I was going to say I had the same feeling about uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's meltdown scene on TV that. She really just seemed to be saying things that she could really feel if you transpose, if you say this, you know, it's actually about climate change, not the asteroid. Just saying, you know, the destruction of the Earth shouldn't be fun. This should be terrifying. Right. Yeah, but unfortunately, if in real life Jennifer Lawrence was on SNL or whatever and did that, then, you know, she'd get justice canceled. <laughs> I mean, Jonah Hill yeah. went on to Jimmy Fallon right as Don't Look, Don't Look Up was coming on. And, uh, he cut Jimmy Fallon off, which I love because Jimmy Fallon sucks, and he was like, my girlfriend would get really pissed at me if I didn't do this, and he gave out like a bunch of information about a specific uh, climate action. And so Jimmy Fallon's face is like drops down because he always does that fake fucking laugh whenever somebody goes off script. Honestly, I don't think he does anything but a fake laugh before he goes back to his place, you know, in Martha's Vineyard. But uh, the... he. 
it just like drops on him. He's like, fuck, my producers are going to be so pissed because I can't remember where Jimmy Fallon is on, if it's NBC or one of the networks, but I'm sure that the board members are making plenty of money. They're probably, they probably got pretty diversified stocks in uh, holdings, maybe in Saudi Arabia, in uh, SoftBank, or maybe in Shell. Who knows? Yeah, fossil fuels have their fingers all over, not just the media world, but basically anywhere that Everywhere. helps them control the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though in the movie their freakouts happen on you know what would be like a daytime sort of tabloid news show, uh, Jimmy Fallon is kind of a good metaphor in in terms of late night for what kind of show you know they're they're spoofing. Oh yeah, he, yeah. he is very much just to keep keep it light. Everything everybody does movies, music, whatever. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is the awesomest. Yeah. We don't want we don't want any any controversial real news here. That's too much. That's uh, too much danger for us. We're here for twenty three minutes. Yeah, we're here for twenty three minutes. We're going to uh, plug your NFT and uh, ignore the consequences. Speaking of NFTs, actually, that's one thing I thought of when the media was being when the resources on the media were being brought up. Like, oh, we need these extra digital resources, and that's worth destroying the world. And I'm like, yeah, that's basically what NFTs are. Yeah, no, extra digital I, resources at the expense of our planet's well-being. Because if this is again a bit of a tangent, but if we were offered a giant asteroid flying towards us that had wealth to be extracted, supposedly wealth to be extracted or at least uh, speculated on, of course we would do this. There is no way in hell that we would ever do. We're we're well past the time where we could get uh, fucking uh, Bruce Willis to do an Armageddon shit and go up there and blow it in half like we can't do that because capitalism in the same way that right now we're we're enclosing the commons of the internet uh and we have been really since the 90s uh with like microsoft's monopolistic boom but like right now how hyper how incredibly obvious it is with nfts and with crypto that we're just enclosing more shit to make more asset classes we would do the exact same thing because it's another frontier and every frontier to capitalism must be exploited it reminds me of seven even if i break off on a tangent here it you know i've been i've thought about nfts as kind of maybe you know even if, if they replaced T- tangible collectible things it wouldn't be the worst thing uh you know all these little cheap whatever plastic right like funko nothing, pop nothings stuff. that we have to make but it just reminds me of uh you know i'm a delivery driver and i earn safe driver points through pizza hut mm-hmm. and uh even if whatever if you edit all this out that's fine but uh uh, so there's this website I can go to to cash in my safe driver points, and it's just a catalog of ch- cheap crap. You know, just hundreds of pages of any little cheap Pizza order. Hut branded bullshit. Yeah, hundred hundreds of different kinds of dog collars and pet toys, and baby toys, and and tiny gadgets. Like the first thing I ever ordered off there was a pair of basic headphones. I just ordered a water bottle. Uh, and the if you're scrolling through there, if you you can if you happen to come across a book, guess what kind of book is on there? It's a book like the uh, the uh, spiritual the spiritual <laughs> roots of disease and what you know fuck? surviving the apocalypse. And uh, if you come across uh, 
an album. It's a Christian music album. Uh, Snoop Dogg's Bible of Love is on there. Just for Hell yeah. the random entertainment choice. Yeah, there's, oh, how many little cheap nothings can we have yeah, available I mean, to us? So if, if NFTs replaced that and we could stop making all these plastic things that would be good, except, of course, they're going to, yeah, whatever, and an NFT is not worthwhile unless it's, oh, yeah, right. unless it's sucking, you know, a whole bunch of energy using up yeah, electricity I mean, just to be a thing on a computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially creating one one good NFT is equivalent of like chopping down 50 trees. So yeah, not, not a, unfortunately not a good trade off where I think our part of our societal culture, part of uh, you know, what communism and socialism is all about is, you know, you might one, one downside to losing capitalism, you might have to get rid of all that cheap, pointless, kitschy plastic crap that does absolutely nothing. I know that's not, maybe that's probably not Shucks. worth saving the human space species, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But not a no, good trade off. Yeah, it's um, – I think that there's – like if you could give somebody something other than schlock, I think it would still be – I think we'd have to reach really far to make it an NFT and make it seem like it makes sense because in the end, it is just another asset class, and it's built for people who can own assets. It's not like – it's not like regular people are buying the hex code for fucking forest green so that they can rent out forest green. You know, it's not a normal person thing to do. And the, the, honestly, I mean, I think it's, I think it's just a scam for the most part. Um, for those few instances that it isn't an entire, just a, just a pump and dump scam to get, you know, some may or may call it, um, it's not it's not conical so much nor is it cylindrical but there is some kind of shape that ends in a point that it reminds me of this <laughs> this kind of scheme but uh it it yeah. seems like it seems like they just need to at the bottom four or three usually yeah, on, oh, I, guess, I guess yeah it depends on the design yeah usually i've seen a few with some weird some weird bottom shapes but it definitely all of them come to a point at the top and that's the important part and to have a point at the top, you need to get a bunch of things underneath it. So it, it seems to me kind of like it's just a scam. Um, it, but those few people who have tried to convince me that like the blockchain technology can be used for good, I'm, I'm just like my entire thought process is that it's it's proper it's proprietarian, so it demands ownership, and it also is just about right now at the very least creating asset classes in the same way that like you buy up a bunch of tulips in in 17th century netherlands you're gonna buy up a bunch of or speculate on a bunch of tulips you're gonna speculate on a bunch of fucking really ugly jpegs that's exactly right like so many other things in our world right now you know just even it could be you could be used for good another technological advance that could be used for good but but just it's not going to happen in Mm -hmm. in the moment we're living in right now no yeah anyways we could do a whole episode on crypto and nfts no maybe we should sometime uh, i wouldn't be surprised if we do it's uh, in it's in vogue why not (laughs) but yeah 
Um, anyways, but actually to get back to where things are, uh, so the government uh, basically goes bag over the head with the people who were mm-hmm. speaking out against this comet. Uh, right. At the same time that right after Leo has this crash and everybody like shuns him, he hops out of his car and sees at the same time that Timothy Chalamet and J-Law see the uh, actual comet. It's appeared in the sky. It is close enough to be viewed with the naked eye. Yeah, it's a uh, big fuzzy, big fuzzy star with a tail just mm-hmm. coming, coming straight at him. And this is the point where our government says, mm, you know what? We don't want people paying attention to this. Literally just stop staring at the sky. Yeah. And, uh, hence the name of the movie. Don't look up. It becomes a slogan. It becomes like make America great again, like uh, plastered on hats and stuff like that's the whole vibe. Yeah. Control the narrative is is basically their whole thing. Nothing more important. And we see like Meryl Streep doing these big uh, don't look up concerts or whatever. And at the same time, Ariana Grande's character with her boyfriend are putting on shows now because they've been convinced of the comet now that it's staring them right in the face. Uh, There are all these cultural moments, these big like you know, it looks like nonprofit work that's going on trying to get people to be aware of the comet or, you know, I guess do something, but like what 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 materially follows is is nothing. Nothing actually comes out of those small protests. You know, this there were times where like Jennifer Lawrence when they first said that shit was going to get exploded, that there were little riots that would pop off. They, they've been confronted with the fucking thing flying right at them, and they do the campaigns, they do the letter writing, they do the shit that, you know, every liberal climate activist does, which is knock on doors and shit and feel like you're doing something, and it makes people feel like you feel for a moment, like they're doing something. But it doesn't matter, because the most... <laughs> the most realistic part of the movie happens, and that is when the coalition of Russia, China, and Iran are sending up their rocket to stop the giant fucking comet. And what happens? It's implied that the United States government, in service of this asshole who's running bash, they blow up. They sabotage the, the, the multinational effort to save the world. Yeah, because capital is more important than any kind of human unity, any kind of human survival. No, always everything must be done in pursuit of that last bit of capital. Mm-hmm. And they and recognize and it's not a small it. amount of capital. It could be trillions of dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, it's <laughs> could be clearly we're throwing away the entire everything. human race. The everything. Entire- They're just trying to have the market cornered on the human race. Yeah, it's like well. And the reason that so many people feel so confident, you know, at this point, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rob Morgan, everybody is like, well, that's it. The only thing that you can hope is that the Bash people actually did the right stuff, even though this entire time they've been getting rid of scientists who bring up anything negative about their their little venture, who say that the science isn't there, who say that these machines aren't ready. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, they go, they basically just decide, all the people who just see the writing on the wall decide, yeah, we're just gonna hang out, have a nice meal together, you know, enjoy our last Mm -hmm. few days of life. Um, 
and that's essentially i mean that's essentially a wrap on their plot lines you know there's there's a few more scenes with them in them but they're just a depressing wrap-up of the movie yeah it's um it's rough i honestly felt like there was a doomerism that kind of came over me when i was watching this and not just like not just negative but like it, it it felt honestly similar to when you like uh, as an adult when you first kind of or even before then when you first really encounter mortality and you say that's real and you accept it it's a similar kind of yeah sadness uh, about an ending and sadness that knowing that end will come and it's inevitable um but i love i first you know the it's really funny the they have the two concurrent like scenes where it's Leonardo and his family and everybody hanging out in his old home. His wife's accepted him back into his life and explains that she cheated on him when they were right, right as they were getting married or whatever. And it was all cool. Um, and uh, the opposite scene, which is the bash people and the NASA guys who are working on the fucking comet shit and yeah. all the comet shit fails like you yeah. would expect. And everybody's shit in their pants. And as the last one completely fucks up, everybody runs away. They yeah. they get the fuck out of there, including the Bash and Meryl Streep yeah. guy. The super, basically, they have special rockets where the super rich and the elite get to fly away into mm-hmm. space uh, in yep. cryo chambers. Uh, we did skip, I guess, the scene where the comet got so close that even the uh, – even the most right wing idiots couldn't ignore it anymore. Right. You see that scene with the redneck shooting at the shooting at the comet with his gun. I think that's yeah, funny. Ron Perlman's like, "You'll never take me alive." Shoots at it. That's fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like the they they get to this ending period where it's cutting between the kind of comical falling apart of the capitalist structure that had at that point dominated everything up until their own destruction, uh, and then of course the people who have accepted the end of the world who Leonardo DiCaprio's invited to go on these silly on on the the find new worlds, you know, escape escape to some place uh rockets, but he says no because he stays there with the thing that I think is the most important part of the movie. And I know it's cheesy shit, but like and I'm not saying it's family. I I think we use family as a as a short a shorthand for for community, for social bonds that you know now as we've lived in such a hyper individualized culture now we've even neglected to to in, include in in our in our social structure a kind of nuclear family which was itself a a, a devolution from the broader village and and community organizations that we had in earlier epochs but like we use family, I think, as a shorthand to talk about this this collective consciousness or even more – yeah, it's a consciousness because when you come together at the end of the world, when you've recognized that the world is over for you, uh, you want to be in that space with the people who have made your community exist, that all of our individualism – all of our celebrity fades away in the face of a collective identity that is more powerful because of its collectivity. I'm with you. That uh, that their dinner scene, the 
characters sort of having like a Thanksgiving dinner as as the asteroid is impacting. It mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of uh, another movie, uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, with Steve oh, Carell. Yeah. That's mm. a good movie. If you didn't catch that one, it, uh, the ending of that is similar. The asteroid hits, and uh, Steve Carell and Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley was trying to get back to her family across overseas, but comes back because her and Steve Carell formed this bond during the hmm. apocalypse knowing that the asteroid is coming and just wanted to sit there and be with each other. But that was more, it was meant to be like a rom-com. You know, yeah. It was, that was certainly rom-com. not like the leftist ideologies in that one, but it's still a good movie. Right. This, yeah, this was a, a better message. Like you said, you know, cho- choosing to spend their final moments with people they cared about, just general, generally community with the people who they feel share their values and, even if they were all flawed and didn't go about trying to do their part to save the world perfectly, they they did try. That was kind of one of the last lines. Hey, we yeah. tried. Yeah. But yeah, um, and then yeah, meteor hits, everyone dies, and then uh, we get a Marvel style end tag <laughs> scene. Yeah. Um, with the rich people landing on their new planet, and there's these weird dinosaur bird things that. Brontorax. <laughs> you were killed by a Brontorax. We have no idea what it means with that yeah, silly, that, like, we can, we can, <laughs> up to 99%, we can predict how you die by how you've uh, fucking lived on your fucking devices and phones. The bash people monitor it. That's funny as shit. I thought that was funny. They really kind of, they gave the, you know, our technology and the folks that develop it and, and run it just gave them really more credit than they even deserve right now with oh, what yeah. they're capable of and obviously just the idea that we're capable of uh, inter- intergalactic travel and finding another habitable planet. <laughs> but yeah, it's just funny that they actually get there and a lot of good that does them too. Right. It's funny to like, what is it? Like 40% of the, of the uh, escape pods actually made it there. Or, you know, you can see in the background as they've landed a few of them like crashing <laughs> And then a few of them, you know, like open up and it's just bones because they've been in there for like, what, like a million years or some shit. Yeah, and from the look at it, everybody who had, you know, the the resources and the status to make that journey, to be, you know, qualified for that journey, they probably were were all past, you know, age of possible procreation. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who's populate there's, this there's, new there's a couple of young-ish looking people, but yeah, like the, no, certainly barely anyone under forty. I don't think Meryl Streep can have any more kids. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good, you know. Got to have, yeah. got to have old, sensible people there to run things, though. So, oh yeah, so I'm a big whole, fan uh, of saving the old. I'm just saying, also, if your whole deal is trying to, I mean, that's the whole deal, though, is that more so the opposite of the 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 dinner scene. Is this this scene where you realize that it wasn't about procreation or maintaining some kind of legacy or a human race? It is just about individual either being saved for yourself or, uh, I suppose, like it is just the individual self saving, self servingness that kind of motivates these guys more so than any kind of produce a new homeland for for humans yeah and just ego you know the ego that you know they are 
the, the powerful ones. They're they're the decision makers here on Earth. So of course they're the ones that should be preserved, and you know, humankind is going to need them there to make decisions on this new planet. I mean, in reality, when the, when the apocalypse comes, the rich and powerful will also choose a bunch of like the finest physical specimens out there to be breeding slaves. You know, yeah. they 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 have they want to have something to pass their rule and legacy down to. It, it's kind of like the if you've ever seen Doctor Strange Love after the bombs, kind of like an inevitability. Uh, the uh, people hanging out in the Pentagon are like, we're going to need to find the most beautiful women to to come down into the mines with us, you know. And each man will have it have to have at least will have at least ten different female partners so that we can procreate. And it's like all these old creeps talking about how they're going to have a harem as the bombs fall on their head. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's more or less Don't Look Up. It's a good self-aware disaster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think that a little long for my taste. Yeah, but it's, good. It's, it's, it's definitely not. Yeah, it could have been an hour shorter and gotten just as much done. Yeah, they needed <laughs> they needed a couple montages just to get get it where they did. Yeah, no, it could have been even longer the way they <laughs> made it. Yeah. yeah. But um, the fact that nihilism is a heavy theme was a nice bit of serendipity with our last episode, our last main episode. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I so did that. I was definitely you – know, it uh, put me back in touch. You know, I really connected with like the Asteroid 2020 bumper stickers that were going around <laughs> for the last election. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm digging it. For someone who's you know, sometimes rooting for the apocalypse, I, I could get down with this movie. It'd be cool to. See. I mean, yeah. If you're gonna, if you're, if the world is gonna end, it would just be cool to be part of the people who get to see it. <laughs> and you still get to, you know, you can be on the right side of history even as it's ending. Yeah, smug satisfaction as your face is incinerated. Oh, right. Yeah. It is still ultimately a uh, quest for salvation, no matter which side of that rocket you're on. On home, where you you find the kind of personal salvation by the the acts that you did to try and help everyone or uh material salvation where you escape to another planet like the i think that there's obviously one that's more noble and more correct but the that is ultimately i think where the the climate lib stuff kind of falters is that it ends on a morality point rather than a material point mm-hmm and it's yeah, hard not actually, to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because I mean, actually saving the day requires more uh, access to power and a narrative control than we actually have. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know. But just talking about saving the day—that's that's that's just some feel-good stuff. Yeah, look at us. That's yeah. That's kind of what hit with me. It's um, you know, even yeah, you know, we might not do every everything we can and spend every waking moment trying trying to fix things and trying to avoid the doom that we see coming at us but it's still i think this the metaphors of this movie hammered home that the urgency is there and there's plenty of us that feel the urgency and know that things need to be done and just but who who in the world knows what to do call your congressman right yeah (laughs) that's my dad's solution he's made a lot of he's written so many letters and called so many politicians and uh it's clearly he's a Fixed so many problems. I don't think Mr. Evans is going to listen to me. <laughs> Roy, Roy, Roy Blunt still has at least like six months. He'll do something, right? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. And Roy then he's got to get Roy replaced Blunt's with... Uh, uh, clearly the... Chauvin, he's got St. Louis, his, the people of St. Louis' best interests in mind in his massive, absurd tenure as a uh, senator. 
Yeah, I think that one of the big things about this movie might be that uh, whatever you think about climate change, which I'm fairly certain most people think is a real fucking issue, um, the structure that we work under right now is not going to cut it. No, they're going to have to be a different thing. No, as long as they can continue doing exploratory drilling. You know, hmm. as long as they can find more oil, they want to get that oil, and because yep. that that's the commodity that they know and already control. Yeah, endless and, growth. Uh, yep, fossil fuel. As long as fossil, it's I mean, the same reason that we can't legalize weed nationwide. As long as alcohol is still the more profitable way to destroy people, we don't want to. We, we until we have. I guarantee you, once the weed, once the corporate weed farms are all up and running. Then it'll be no problem to legalize it. Well, I mean, have you been to any states where it is legal? That's what's happened. It, yeah. It's essentially Philip Morris, but for weed. And cool, I guess. And I've heard like, that the quality has gone down a bit. It is. In some weed of those ain't great. I mean, some places it's fine, but like it depends on your grower. And a lot of these places suck. And, uh, you know, not to get too weed culture about it, but it's also like all of the. Colorado has a federal prison system, a massive supermax prison for. That has drug offenders in it, marijuana offenders, and they le- and they recently legalized psilocybin. But no, right. it's not about it's not it's it's. I mean, that's part of the reason they keep weed illegal too, free slave labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the the new whatever new uh, frontiers that we can enclose will need to have laborers at least if not to actually forge through those frontiers then to process the 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 refuse that will provide for the actual frontiersmen the actual pioneers will have their treats built and made for them by the product of you know slave labor yeah so as soon as they find a way to tax sunlight then we can start saving the planet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think that does it for this movie. Yeah. Um, I think we're ready to head into real-life events, which are slightly Gross. less depressing, but still terrible. <laughs> On to the news blast. News. So I'd say the first bit of news I want to cover, uh, people who are listening, people who have listened to our show very consistently know that we've touched on Stephen Donziger before, mm-hmm. um, attorney who... Uh, Basically, took on Chevron and made won a lawsuit in which they owed ten billion dollars to a bunch of people that they exploited and uh, in Ecuador. In Ecuador, yeah, and uh, who made who they made exploited sick and, and poisoned. You know, yeah, they literally yeah. destroyed a culture, and they, they had, he won the case. So they had to pay ten billion dollars. Not a dime of that money has gone to the Ecuadorian citizens yet, obviously. But in their ever-present rush to make Stephen Donziger pay for what he's done. Uh, he's been getting even so. We, uh, we last time we talked about him, he had just gotten had had been forced into actual prison over this, even though he was under house arrest for the longest. Um, and he just recently got out of prison. For, uh, got to be at home for like a couple, a little bit, like literally a couple weeks, and then his ankle bracelet was supposed to come off, and then they decided to move him into a full lockdown in a halfway house instead. And yeah, so. and this is all on uh. Because he's a flight risk on his misdemeanor charge. Yeah, his misdemeanor charge, which carries a maximum of, like, what, 90 days, and he's already spent something like almost almost two, two over years. two years, right? In house in, arrest. In yeah. house arrest. So it's like – and this is – Stephen Donsinger, of course, uh, is a – 
I mean, not like it's getting all that much coverage, but it's a high-ish, high-ish profile version of the same thing that's been affecting a lot of people during COVID and even before then. Uh, is this kind of ex? Not even it is extrajudicial, but it's like with, held without cause before even receiving a trial or an arraignment. Like this is essentially, you know, this is an obvious corporate. <laughs> coup through the judiciary run by mostly federalist society creeps to basically you know show off to any other possible lawsuit people who are going to be seeking restitution from their uh fossil fuel abusers you know people who come into their communities people who if if the people of nigeria wanted to do this uh then of course they would see what's happening to Stephen Donchinger in the most powerful country in the world, and that th- that would maybe stop people like Donchinger and his his uh, you know defenders of uh, oil and shit, or not oil and shit, but defenders of the victims uh, from coming and joining the that fight. Uh, like the whole point is, this is you know they're spending something like on the on the ticket of a billion dollars to to put this guy away. Obviously, that's a ten million lawsuit later, right? Obviously, that's a tenth of what they owe to the Ecuadorians, but or the people who live in Ecuador. These are these are oftentimes um, uh, semi-autonomous tribal units and uh, smaller states that kind of are are more homogeneous, more homogeneously one culture than is technically the one that is in La Paz. But um, the the yeah, it's entirely a a, a a retaliatory on Donzinger so that other people do not want to go for this. And it's it's a it's a the the COVID connection, the being able to stave off any hearings and keep him under house arrest is the same thing that's happening to a lot of people of minor crimes, but they're being kept in jail, not prison, but overcrowded jails, especially if you look in rural areas, if there are drug crises. Uh, people who are in there for minor shit who haven't been officially arraigned or charged uh, have died from COVID because they've been thrown in cramped cells. Yeah, and they're given exorbitant uh, bail bail amounts mm-hmm. that not, they're not even close to being able, being able to afford. No. I mean I was arrested one time and I had to post bail for myself and my friend who didn't have cash. Uh, and thankfully – I had been saving all of my delivery driver tips and uh, the cops that had broken into my uh, apartment didn't steal all of it. They took a bit, but they left a little bit. And so I got that money and could thankfully pay our bail. And that was $500 a piece. And that was insane. Like I had to pay that bail and then show back up in court to get the bail back. But that same bail money was like all of my money. And I needed to use that to get a lawyer. So I was like, can you take this on credit? It was stupid. And, yeah, our- and I wasn't even really as affected. A $500 bail for me, like I could take that. A lot of people can't, but there are way higher bails, like $10,000, $15,000 bails for people who are much worse off. And, in, for and generally lawful citizens. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're, if you're accidentally brought in, if it's a wrongful arrest – you still have to post that bail and you're going to lose your job. Like that's life. That's what happens to a lot of these people. And Donzinger, thankfully for him, this is a 
you know, he's at house arrest, so it sucks and it's horrible and he's in his tiny little New York apartment, but like at least he's not getting – thankfully, he didn't get stuck in prison for too long and didn't speaking catch COVID of, and die. Yes. Speaking of him getting out, for those of you worried that he's going to uh, suddenly have to – suddenly Epstein himself in the halfway house, he was released uh, after his family brought up a bunch of basically legal claims to why he couldn't be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was released today back to house arrest, so – you know, he's not going to – we don't need to worry about an Epstein situation yet, but don't get me wrong. I'm still afraid for the guy's life with the way he's been treated so far. Yeah, I mean it obviously doesn't seem like anybody's going to care if they do anything to him. I mean what, Jerry Nadler's going give to give a shit? I mean I haven't his, seen – His wife is on – or not his wife, but his daughter works for uh, these same consulting firms that are working for the Shell and shit, so – yeah, and I mean, if you, it's not like I've seen a single scrap of Don Zager's news story on CNN or MSNBC. Or New York Times. No, nothing. No, no. it's only been on smaller uh, sites, on Twitter, on individual journalists. Yeah, I'd, I heard about it from you guys, and just in, just in doing a little reading on it, what thing that jumped out at me was that this uh, that judge that was cited in New York that was siding with uh, Chevron Kaplan, mm-hmm. you know, that's trying to hold him accountable and wants him wanted him charged with contempt. Basically, just wanted to keep him in house arrest and keep him shut up and in, in, in a hole. Yeah. Uh, he, so he was allowed. the The Southern District of New York declined to prosecute Donzinger for for contempt, but he appointed a private law firm himself. This judge. I believe a U.S. District Court judge, Kaplan, appointed a private law firm to prosecute him for mm-hmm. contempt, and not only that, was able to uh, to choose another another judge to preside over his case, and uh, and this is a judge that was on the board of what the Federalist Society. Yeah, all the while, no access whatsoever to a jury. Exactly. Yeah, no. he, he he requested a jury trial, and they said no. Uh, I like this this judge. You're, so this judge is going to decide your case, right? Uh, blatantly unconstitutional. Like we, I mean, obviously, uh, I was reading about. I'm reading about. Uh, I'm reading How to Hide an Empire by Daniel Immerwar, a very fun book, um, really well written. And at one point, it's talking about the Trail of Tears and how the Supreme Court was like, "Yo, that ain't constitutional." But the government was like, what are you going to do, fucking stop me? Um, so really, I mean, when I say it's unconstitutional, and it is blatantly, like, what what are we going to do, stop them? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's rough. And this Donziger stuff, Donziger, this Donziger stuff is uh, really just kind of a bummer. And sometimes, you know, there's not much we can do about it. We really just need to focus, I guess, on the escapism. We need some place to, you know, relax, get away. How about one of the biggest music festivals of all time, Coachella? No yeah, that's, you know, th- that should be a good fun time. Something, uh, something that couldn't possibly go wrong. And oh, what's this? Coachella has announced that this year they're not going to require any mask mandates or vaccine requirements, and they're not going to put any cap on the number of people who are allowed to be there. Whatever. No, no, man. Even. We're back to normal. I don't care anymore, man. I'm just so fucking like, what am I supposed to do? These people go and get it. They gonna keep making new variants. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get long COVID and die. But you know what? What am I supposed to do? I'll just let them enjoy their really bad music. 
I don't know. Some Coachella acts are probably good. I I only know the the stereotype of Coachella, and I don't think that I'm really sold. Yeah, I mean, I'm Plus, not going to be in attendance, but anyway, there will be on. enough people I'm in attendance desert. that we're going to see a nice, nice, just a nice, fun little extra COVID spike because we don't have yeah. enough of those in this country. I'm I'm worried about how long COVID is going to affect like people's brains. Like, apparently, it's it's got like neurological effects, and I'm wondering like. Have we all stepped through the the void? Have we all stepped through this post-COVID world into, well, you know, I should say... Post-caring about COVID. (laughs) Post-caring about COVID, but also, like, in this new world dominated by COVID. Like, have we, have, has our brain chemistry changed or something? Like, am am I, am I heading off the cliff or is the cliff here? It's, honestly, it's impossible to say what, what, uh the effects of COVID have already been and will continue to be just because of how individualized society is. Like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. it's, it's impossible to get a straight narrative about what's going on with it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I I don't have the energy to, to cry too much about it anymore. I was frankly was already sort of, uh, social distancing and self-isolating before the pandemic even hit, but I'm just grateful that what, at least I have, an older brother and older sister that are, you know, somewhat intelligent and we've managed to go two years and our, keep our 70 year old father still alive. Good. So we'll keep trying. We'll just keep trying for that. Yeah. I mean, like, just like, um, I was saying about the movie too, it's, we use family as a shorthand for our community, uh, like our, our communal connections. Um, but I think that that's, that's really what we have to, do. I I don't want to say that you should restrict your your community. I don't think that you should have to put hard barriers, but like when when Phil and I were talking about nihilism, like setting realistic boundaries on what you can and cannot believe in and affect is something I think that that especially with this pandemic is going to be increasingly important is realizing what you can and cannot affect is stepping away from the fact that a bunch of idiots who are going to listen to music and get really high are also going to get COVID and die. Um, I like, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I, I just can't anymore because the things that I want to worry about are the people around me, people like y'all. Yeah, that is probably the smart move to start play at this point. Um, and uh, that's all the news. I mean, if you define news as things that are actually happening, if you define <laughs> news as what our news talks about, then there's a very big story we didn't touch on, and that's that Russia totally invaded Ukraine yesterday. Oh, not yesterday, but today they're going to, I it's promise. Imminent. It's imminent. It's coming at 1 p.m. today, 1 p.m. Uh, Western time, of course, Pacific time. Actually, 1 p.m. Hawaii time. Actually, 1 p.m. tomorrow. Actually, 1 p.m. next week. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a President's Day violation of the Ukrainian border. I believe in this, guys. As I've already stated on this podcast, even in the off chance that Russia ever actually does push across the border, um, it's not our fucking problem. We don't need to save these Ukrainian Nazis. Yeah, but fuck them. But yeah, uh, it's just been this nonstop Russia panic narrative for the last like week straight. At what point does it become so obvious to people that it's not telling you about an imminent thing, but trying to wish an invasion into being, create some crisis? I heard from um, somebody who was like, their idea is that the 
really what they want to do is create enough pressure so that they can justify putting more sanctions on Russia and justify uh, stopping the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that would, you know, I think we've even talked about this where it's um, Nord Stream 2 would mean more more natural gas and uh, fossil fuels into Germany from Russia, thus uh, taking away any kind of energy dependence that Russia or that Germany might have on the United States, at least that much more. That sounds like the makings of the next world war. Russia and Germany getting back together, cutting us out of the <laughs> deal. Hey, man. Let's get it on. And it should be worth noting, uh, we're, uh, we, we here on this podcast are not defending modern age Russia. USSR Russia, that's a different story. But modern age Russia, they're capitalist shithole, terrible empire too. Fuck them. But it's not our problem. Right. It's like we we gutted the shit out of Eastern Europe and out of Russia. And we've put in – we put Putin and his predecessor Yeltsin in charge. And this is just blowback. It's just more blowback that's following it. Um you know, the Ukraine is still the – out of all the Eastern European countries, it's still struggling to reach its GDP and its levels of income uh, that it had in 1990 before the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, so it's like uh, who are you fighting for? You're fighting for a bunch of Nazi Azov battalion types. You're fighting for people who would support them in an effort to increase Americans' sphere of influence. And uh, for what? Like so that Hunter Biden can keep making money as a consultant so that uh, a bunch of neocons can make money selling stock for Raytheon so that Lockheed Martin can get a big boost on their market cap. Like, what's the point for us as people? And, like, you know, obviously it's agonizing to look at what might be a war, what seems increasingly less likely to be a war, unless the United States just forces it, because that seems like what we've been wanting to do. And, and it's rightly agonizing, to, but it's yeah, like... That's what we're trying to whip our people into a frenzy up to do, too, because, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff on social media of people like, oh, well, you know, maybe we should start nuking these countries. We nuke Japan, and now they just make awesome anime. Like, it's... There's a lot of... It's, it's, we've created that, 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 posit that positive gonna, association with war in this country. I'm, if that's a real thing, I'm going to... That's, they want uh, that's to like, webify the Ukraine. On, there's a subreddit called uh, Gen USA, which is a like a, it's Zoomers who are like act actively against the Gen Zedong Reddit. Basically, they're like the where where the super pro capitalist Zoomers, and there is a whole meme going around about that for a bit. About I'm sure that most of them are actual Zoomers and not just creeps who feel like left out. But whatever, <laughs> not just like those creepy Washington Post TikTok accounts. Whatever. I just – we are so far removed from any levers of power. There's not a single thing that I can do to stop some idiot in the Pentagon from pressing a button that launches a nuke or that, you know, even if it's not that. I can't stop them from sending a drone to chill, kill a small child child in syria or to keep sending bombs to the saudi uh regime to kill people in yemen like all of these things are on autopilot as far as the regular citizen in this so-called democracy is concerned 
There's nothing that you or I can do inside this framework. And that's why, just like in the movie Don't Look Up, where you try to work through the system, where you try to do these protests while you're trying to get Ariana Grande to produce a fantastic concert that we loved, was so great. I loved the shins when they played for Bernie. But what did it give me? This is not a framework for change. Uh, they're fighting for democracy. I, I think when we when we inevitably take our forces into Ukraine, I think we'll be greeted as liberators. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we definitely won't just uh, – even if we do somehow pull out some kind of quote-unquote victory, whatever that means over there, we definitely won't just leave some other vacuum where we can fill in a different evil power. No, for seriously, what, I, what I've enjoyed the last couple days of this fiasco is – uh, you know, Biden and Blinken, you know, anticipating this false flag from Russia and, mm-hmm. you know, watching watching their propaganda machine. And then meanwhile, if I flip to uh, good old NBC and all their Olympic coverage, their favorite story is, is about the figure skaters, uh, the female figure skaters. Russia had like I don't know, three of the top five, but their mm. one 15-year-old girl was, you know, tested positive for a banned heart medication. And the NBC just loves that the three Russian girls that, you know, were all some of the best skaters were all so sad. They're all so sad. But our, yeah. our two American girls that skated, skated beautifully and finished in the top ten, they're just happy to be there. We, we don't the have f- propaganda here, though. No. no, there's no Western propaganda. I've literally seen a comment on Reddit. It was thankfully it was like negative votes, but it literally was a comment of Western propaganda doesn't exist. There's people who just idiots. think that idiots. No, <laughs> it's the fact that you just be like slobbering over, or like just salivating over the tears of a 15 year old girl who's being cut out by the IOC, which is a pretty shit organization known for its gambling and its graft and its bribery like because they've decided that her heart medication doesn't is a banned substance because of anti-doping stuff like say what you will about the russian uh fucking you know soft power push you know if you ever watch that documentary icarus which is about biking doping um they do a lot of the russophobia stuff and it's still a good movie you just have to take that shit with a grain of salt it's very well produced. It's very pretty. But I think that they're selling that message is that, you know, <gasps> doping. They they don't play fair. They're hiding things. They're all so shifty there. And it also, you know, back – kind of tr- traces back to when people in Europe thought that Russia was the Asiatic horde. You know, it's that shifty nature of the Asiatic. Like it's maybe not as coded as it was before as racist, but it's certainly – has it has it has a basis in it yeah unfortunately uh there's like kyle said there's nothing us common people can do about it really all we can do is just cross our fingers that we don't start a world war maybe we'll maybe enough people will be sensible about it that even though our multiple governments are pushing for it the people won't let you know go for it but really at the end of the day all we can do is uh you know keep pushing out positive vibes and uh keep spreading the message that we always try to spread here on this podcast um just try to keep going out into the world with as much love and solidarity as possible love and solidarity y'all love and solidarity right on 
it can be told in few enough words. We are not certain of his intentions even yet. They talk. So I am told. 